My brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ our Lord, up on Snoqualmie Pass, there's a trail called the Iron Goat Trail. It was the old Milwaukee Railroad that um, the tracks used to run up the mountain. And the neat thing about that area was there was a tunnel up there, a mile-long tunnel, and straight as an arrow. And one year, we took our youth group up there to go through that tunnel, hike the trail, and then go through the tunnel. And what was striking about the tunnel, as you were going through the tunnel, you were out, or, uh, approaching the tunnel, you could just see black, just dark. Didn't know what's up ahead. Like you were going through the mines of Moria. You weren't sure. And so as we go in and we got into the tunnel, we didn't need flashlights because the light behind us seemed to illumine where we were going. Somehow we could see out of the peripheral vision where the edges of the path was and where the drainage ditches were on each side. But not too far into that tunnel, you started seeing a light further down the trail, further down the tunnel. It looked like a bicycle. We kept waiting for somebody to ride a bike to come at us, and yet that light didn't waver. It was always dead on. And we would come to discover that that light, a mile away, was the other end of the tunnel and not a bicycle. We are now about to step off into the great fast. When I go back up and I'm going to close the doors, the cantor's going to start the hymn of glorification in the Linton tones, and we've begun. And when we go out, it can be kind of daunting. You can't really tell what's ahead. You only have the glow of the light behind you of what you're experiencing at the moment. But once you get into it, it's like in, in the days of old. When Moses led the Israelites out from bondage of Egypt, they were led by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And that's what kept them focused as they went through their journey and Sinai, it was meant to be a visible sign of God's presence to the people, that he was guiding them, leading them to their destined place, but also stopping and telling them where to rest. And they would stay there until the cloud or the fire began to get up and began to move again. So as we begin, we step out, go out into the desert of our fast. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen to us over the course of the next six and a half, seven weeks, County Holy Week. We're each going to go through our own struggles and our own challenges and our own difficulties, our fears and our anxieties. We're going to have all these things. We're going to have our, our uh, foibles our inclinations that seem to overrun us, even though we start off with the, bad in, the, the best of intentions. We're going to feel like we're not gaining anything. It's all been for naught. 
But what we have to do is keep our eyes focused on that light at the far end, which is Christ. The Israelites of old did it. They kept their eyes focused, and God would lead them throughout wherever He wanted to go. And yes, they had their difficulties, and they had their troubles, and they had their uprisings, but God always continued to lead them. And the same will be with us during this great fast. As we go out, and we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the light who's at the far end of the tunnel, but also the light who is coming from behind us, illumining our path, we will stay in the center of the path. When we were walking through that tunnel, halfway through the tunnel, the light behind us didn't give much anymore. Our only point of reference of where the path was, because we didn't want to use flashlights, was that solid light beam that came from the other end of the tunnel, now a half mile away. And as long as we kept focused on that, we stayed in the middle. But if you started to wander your eye left or right from that, you would find inevitably somebody would step in the ditch that was on the side. And the same with us. As we're going along and we keep our eyes on the light of Christ, we will stay true. Doesn't mean that we won't stumble along the way as we did in the tunnel with rocks that may be in the way, obstructions that come along that you don't know, occasional moving obstacle of some income in the other direction. But we've got to keep our focus very hard on Christ with everything we can muster. Because the truth is, the more you put into the great fast, the greater Satan is going to fight you. I don't know if you remember several years ago, we, <coughs> the first year we started the, the, the Salter group during Lent, things really got difficult for many of us. But we overcame them. But the devil was going to fight us tooth and nail because he doesn't like the increase of prayer. He doesn't like the increase of fasting. He doesn't like our focus being so much on what we're trying to do to accomplish holiness that we're ignoring his world of the pleasures and the distractions. So when we go through this great fast, keep our eyes on that light, and it'll keep us on the path. And we won't get lost along the way. Final words before we step out is from our, our patron John Chrysostom. These us these words. Would you like me to list the paths of repentance? They are numerous and quite varied, and all lead to heaven. A first path of repentance is the condemnation of our own sins. Be the first to admit your sins, and you will be justified. For this reason, too, the prophet wrote, I said, I will accuse myself of my sins to the Lord, and you forgave the wickedness of my heart. Therefore, you too should condemn your own sins, that, you will, that will be reason enough for the Lord to forgive you. For a man who condemns his own sins is slower to commit them again. Rouse your conscience to accuse yourself within your own house, 
lest it become your accuser before the judgment seat of the Lord. That then is one very good path to repentance. Another and no less valuable one is to put out of our minds the harm done to us by our enemies. In order to master our anger and to forgive our fellow servants' sins against us, then our sins against the Lord will be forgiven us. Thus you have another way to atone for sin. For if you forgive your debtors, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Do you want to know a third path? It consists of prayer that is fervent and careful and comes from the heart. If you want to hear of a fourth, I will mention almsgiving, whose power is great and far-reaching. If, moreover, a man lives a modest, humble life, that no less than other things I have mentioned takes sins away. Proof of this is the tax collector who had no good deeds to mention, but offered his humility instead and relieved of a heavy burden of sins. Thus I have shown you five paths of repentance, condemnation of your own sins, forgiveness of your neighbor's sins against us, prayer, almsgiving, and humility. Do not be idle then, but walk daily in all these paths that are easy and you cannot plead your poverty. For though you live out your life amid great need, you can always set aside your wrath, be humble, pray diligently, and condemn your own sins. Poverty is no hindrance. Poverty is not an obstacle to our carrying out the Lord's bidding, even when it comes to the path of repentance, which involves giving money, almsgiving, I mean. The widow proved that when she put in two mites into the box. Now that we have learned how to heal those wounds of ours, let us apply the cures. Then, when we have regained genuine health, we can approach the holy table with confidence, go gloriously to meet Christ, the King of glory, and attain the eternal blessings through the grace, mercy, and kindness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through the prayers of our holy hierarch, John, O Christ our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. 